in Time, the podcast uncovering Black British history one day at a time. I'm your host Liv and on this week's episode I'll be covering events from February 1st to February 7th. I hope you enjoy. On February 1st, 1959, ITV aired the earliest known instance of a kiss between a black and white person shown on television. The kiss was between the English actress Andre Melly and Jamaican-born Lloyd Record. The kiss featured during an adaptation of Ted Willis's play Hot Summer Night, which formed part of the drama anthology series Armchair Theatre. Hot Summer Night is one of the earliest British plays to have race as a theme and centres around parents who were unhappy about their daughter's relationship with a Jamaican man. The play premiered at Bournemouth Pavilion in September 1958 at a time when anti-immigrant sentiment had reached an all-time high. During one performance of the show, someone called out from the stalls, I don't like to see white girls kiss n-words. The play transferred to the West End and the TV recording was filmed a few weeks after its successful run. Record described the show as an enormous boost for him as it marked the beginning of walking down the street and being recognised. On February 2nd, 2018, Channel 4 announced they had commissioned a new late-night alternative entertainment show following a successful pilot. The show was The Big Nasty Show, a chat show hosted by rapper Big Nasty and comedian Mo Gilligan. Produced by Expectation and Dice Production Entertainment, in its first season, the show became Channel 4's most popular programme among younger viewers. The show also led to a 144% increase in black audiences reached by the channel. Both black audiences and young audiences were two groups that Channel 4 struggled to engage in the past. The Big Nasty Show features a diverse range of guests, described by Nasty himself as Patty and Caviar. These have included the likes of David Schwimmer, Little Sims and Idris Elba, There's also hilarious sketches such as Loose Mandem, the show's take on the daytime TV show Loose Women and performances by top artists. Now in its fourth season, the show has won numerous awards, including a BAFTA and Best Entertainment Performance at the Royal Television Society Awards. On February 3rd, 1965, Dave Benson Phillips, aka the Godfather of Gunge, was born. Dave's first foray into the world of showbiz came when he was working as an usher at the Polka Children's Theatre in Wimbledon. Following this, he worked as a children's entertainer at resorts like Pontins and Haven, where he was the company's first black blue coat. It was while working at Haven that he was scouted and invited to audition by BBC Manchester. The audition was a success, and soon after, Dave graced TV screens on Playdays, a children's TV show about a travelling playbus that 
that would stop at different places each day. In 1991, he was given his own TV show called Get Your Own Back. And it was through this gig that he earned the title Godfather of Gunge. The show allowed children to get revenge on grown-ups in their lives. And at the end of each episode, the child who'd accrued the most points would be allowed to cover the grown-up in Gunge. Get Your Own Back ran until 2004 and Dave went on to present other shows such as Fun Song Factory and Playhouse Disney. In 2009, he fell victim to internet death hoax reports. The fake news led to work being cancelled and his wife receiving sympathy flowers and condolences. Trolls also set up fake profiles in Dave's name, writing offensive messages about children with additional needs. Nobody was ever held accountable, but Dave persevered in rebuilding his career. And in 2018, he made his professional wrestling debut. Today, he continues to work in the entertainment industry, hosting live music events and live streaming music lessons. On February 4th, 2011, Memorial 2007 was officially registered as a charity. In 2002, the idea of a permanent memorial to remember enslaved peoples and their descendants was born. Three years later, a group called Memorial 2007 was formed, spearheaded by a former history teacher called Oku Ekpenyon. The group set out to make the memorial a reality. A working version of the 14-foot bronze memorial statue was designed by Les Johnson, who was selected after a public competition was held. The Department of Culture, Media and Sport gave their early support for Memorial 2007 by negotiating a site within the Royal Parks for a memorial garden and the memorial itself. In 2008, the then Mayor of London, Boris Johnson, now Prime Minister, gave verbal support for the memorial as well. UNESCO also endorsed the project, describing it as an important contribution for raising public awareness on the history of the slave trade and slavery. At a City of Westminster Planning Applications Committee meeting on November 8th, 2016, the group was granted permission for a memorial garden and bronze sculpture. As of today, the memorial garden and bronze sculpture have not yet come to fruition. Despite verbal support from Boris Johnson during his time as Mayor of London, the government has refused to provide funding for the memorial. Planning permission granted back in 2016 expired in 2019. Following the 2020 global reckoning with racism, a GoFundMe was set up to raise the costs needed to create the memorial. Once closer to the £4 million target, the group planned to reapply for planning permission. Should you wish to donate or know someone with very deep pockets, I've left the link for the GoFundMe in this episode's show notes. The topic of February 5th is closely related to that of February 4th, because the person in question is the father of Oku Ekpenyon, founder of Memorial 2007. It was on this day, February 5th, in 1940, 
the Ita Ekpenyon enrolled in D section of the St Marlebone Borough Council Civic Defence Volunteer Unit. Born in Calabar, Nigeria in 1899, Ekpenyon left Nigeria to study law in London in 1928. When World War II broke out, he lived at 146 Great Titchfield Street in West London. Too old to join the military, he volunteered to join the Air Raid Precautions. In the late 1930s, London's black African community was estimated to be around 15,000 people. So a black Air Raid Precautions warden was unusual. During the war, Ekpenyon made several radio broadcasts in support of the British war effort for the Calling at West Africa programme on the BBC Empire Service. He wrote a memoir of his Air Raid Precaution Service and became among the most well-known of the black people who experienced the Blitz. I've included a link to his biography in the show notes. Away from volunteering, he worked as an actor, starring in Sanders of the River and King Solomon's Mines, alongside Paul Robeson. After the war, Ekpenyon abandoned his legal dreams due to a lack of funding. He worked as a London postman until his death in 1951. February 6th, 2020 marked the press night for Death of England, a one-man play by Clint Dyer and Roy Williams. The opening of the show was a history-making moment for Dyer as he became the first black British artist to have written, directed and performed in a full-scale production at the National Theatre. The feat has been achieved by few in the theatre's 60-year history. In 2016, Dyer played the role of Cutler in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. He then went on to co-write and direct Death of England and Death of England Dalroy, both of which were performed at the National. Death of England came out of a short play commissioned by The Guardian and Royal Court Theatre in 2014. The play approached the theme of sport through a powerful monologue delivered by Rafe Spall. Playing the role of a grieving father, Spall uses his father's funeral as the site of a damning elegy on football and national identity. Six years later, the longer version of the play took the form of a dramatic monologue examining the toxic inheritance left by the main character's father who wants to see the country taken, quote, back from the blacks. Death of England debuted on January 31st, 2020 and ran until March 7th of that year, just days before the National shut its doors due to the COVID pandemic. Dyer described the press night as the highlight of his career and less than a year later, he was appointed Deputy Artistic Director of the National Theatre. On February 7th, 2008, the Stephen Lawrence Centre was officially opened by then Mayor of London, Ken Livingstone. Situated in Deptford, the centre aimed to inspire young people to pursue careers in architecture, the career path that Stephen hoped to follow before he was murdered in an unprovoked attack 15 years earlier. 
At the grand opening of the centre, Stephen's mother, Doreen Lawrence, said that he dreamed of being an architect from the age of seven and would have been so excited for a centre to be opened in his name. The Stephen Lawrence Centre was designed by award-winning architect David Ajay and offered its own youth, creativity and urban design curriculum for young people aged 14 to 25. The centre was also home to the Stephen Lawrence Charitable Trust, which was set up by Stephen's mother to ensure that future generations of young people would enjoy the opportunities that were so cruelly denied to him. Within a week of opening, the centre was subjected to four attacks of vandalism. The most damaging saw bricks thrown at the window in the early hours of the morning, causing tens of thousands of pounds of damage. listening to Black in Time. Check back again next week when we'll be talking about apologies for roles played in the transatlantic genocide, the first black British woman to receive an Oscar nomination, and the murder of a woman in Cardiff that led to one of the biggest miscarriages of justice in British history. <laughs>